Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Israeli politicians and observers have been taught by experience both historically and over the last two deadlocked years to reserve judgment on efforts to form governments until they are finally and officially over, with the newly minted cabinet gaining a Knesset vote of confidence and summoned to the ceremonial group picture with the president, which in this case is going to be one of Reuven Rivlin's last acts before he leaves office next month. But with that caveat noted, it seems as if only accidents or incidents could prevent a seven-party coalition jointly headed by Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid from ousting Prime Minister B. Minatonyaz Likud-led coalition, ending his 12 years reign but having a very uncertain life expectancy of its own. What's next for Israeli politics and policies? To further analyze this topic, we're joined from Jerusalem by Professor Ze'ev Khanin, who's an expert on Russian and Middle Eastern studies at Barilan and Ariel Universities. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Also joining us elsewhere here in central Israel is Colonel in Reserve, Loven Ben Shalom, who's a cross-cultural strategist and associate at the International Institute for Counterterrorism in Herzliya. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Thank you. With me here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of TV7's Watchman Talk, Mr. Emil Oren. Emil, give us a broader understanding on the latest uh, developments pertaining to the political situation here in Jerusalem. Well, Netanyahu's critics uh, usually say that uh, he has been very divisive. But he uh, has actually managed to unify, rather than divide, his critics. Uh, because uh, the um, government, the, the new emerging government, uh, has managed to unify uh, so many polar opposites that uh, it seemed improbable that they could uh, uh, coexist. And uh, if it were not for their common adversary, uh, Netanyahu, they probably wouldn't have joined uh, forces. But having um, uh, only Netanyahu as a common denominator is good enough for forming the government. It will not be enough for getting uh, some uh, mutual agreements on policy, on various issues, such as um, Judaism and uh, state, not church and state, but synagogue uh, and state. Uh, There is... Uh, someone Professor Hanin knows very well, the um, new finance minister, Avigdor Lieberman, uh, who is vehemently secular. Uh, he expresses uh, the views of many Israelis, not necessarily those who voted for him, but there are many secular Israelis who have resented the fact that uh, religious and orthodox parties um, have... Uh, been overly represented in uh, government. Which uh, should be added also non-Zionist parties. Exactly. Um, But uh, the fact is uh, Netanyahu considered them uh, to be uh, quote-unquote right-wing and uh, he uh, included them in his uh, cabinet and in his budget. Now, they have been uh, totally dependent 
on state budgets and there is going to be a crisis. This is only one example, and we haven't even touched the national security and foreign policy issue. Which uh, we're going to deliberate during today's panel. I'd like to ask, actually, Colonel uh, Ben Shalom first. Uh, when we're talking about uh, the whole right-wing, left-wing narrative uh, that surrounds right now the various uh, rhetoric uh, coming from both sides. Uh, I'd like to hear from you, uh, considering the fact that the last coalition, uh, which Netanyahu created, the, the National Unity Coalition, which he justified, which had both uh, the centrist uh, blue and white, it had uh, the left-wing labor, and it had a variety of right-wing parties, excluding the Amina, Amina party, which was shunned by Netanyahu. Um, the, the formation of the current probable government under Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid don't seem to be very different in nature, considering the fact that Netanyahu himself was the one who uh, voiced his intentions of creating a right-wing government with a blocking majority presented by the Arabs. So what is suddenly uh, changing the characteristics of a Bennett-led government uh, to a left-wing government as opposed to a Netanyahu right-wing government when the components are seemingly exactly the same? Interesting times we live in when right and left actually mean nothing anymore as far as policy. And if we look at the right-wing government of Netanyahu, actually 12 years of Netanyahu that is certainly right-wing, what policies did he implement that were right? Many of the promises, for instance, that he made to his constituents that he'll, for instance, annex uh, West Bank, etc., were not really implemented, probably because there are many other uh, practical considerations. But bottom line, we do not have anymore right and left where the right want the whole of Israel and to distance as far as possible any aspirations of the Palestinians, where the left just want to give all the territory back and there will be a Palestinian state that the right wing believe will threaten us. That is no longer true as far as the policies. The interesting part here is that we have now more maybe than in the last decade powerful rhetoric of right and left, so powerful that Netanyahu has been actually uh, scaring uh, his voters in the last few days, saying this is a dangerous left-wing government that's forming now, so dangerous that it's an existential threat. Many of us, by the way, believe that this is rhetoric that even goes to incitement and someone may even decide this is worth a political assassination, God forbid. But this is the kind of rhetoric coming out as if there's going to be this dangerous left-wing government that will take left-wing steps. Remember that this kind of government, they call themselves unity government. The right wing laughs at that, mocks that, and says this is no unity government. But it is sort of a unity between various uh, factions. Of course it will not go and implement a left kind of policy because of who they are and because of the times we live in and post-COVID. And security challenges, we know what they're going to deal with. Stabilization, changing the, 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 the culture of our politics. Mostly that's what they're going to do. Try to fix the economy, look after uh, security issues. No dramatic changes as far as policy, just like we had no dramatic changes in the last 10 years. Not to forget, of course, that uh, two of the most significant components uh, within this new government coalition uh, under the new hope uh, of uh, Gidon Saar and, uh, of course, Naftali Bennett himself under Yamina, uh, do not believe in a two-state solution, are vocally anti that, as opposed to the Likud, which did 
under the, the Barilan speech of 2009, uh, acknowledge, uh, or Netanyahu actually acknowledged, a two-state solution in which he didn't uh, necessarily mind uh, providing uh, the, the Palestinian state's idea a, a, a possibility of, of reality. But I'd like to ask you, Professor Hanin, does a, uh, an alternative government, as some may call it, or the, the current uh, uh, government under the alternate uh, Lapid and uh, uh, Naftali Bennett, actually come to a reality in which it's able to move anywhere uh, on substantive issues? Uh, as I hear here, a lot of skepticism of being able to do anything. Uh, beyond domestic issues that have no opposition from anyone, which would have been passed anyway? Well, first of all, I would say that despite of the fact that it looked like there is a competition between the two political camps, which is uh, uh, Netanyahu, uh, prime minister, but all means, and or, and the opposition, uh, anything but Netanyahu, but in reality, it goes much beyond the personal issue. In fact, we understand that, that there is a new uh, line, borderline, between two political camps in Israel, and this is not left and right. If you will have a look, and I agree with my colleagues who already mentioned that. Uh, first of all, uh, if we are talking about people, uh, political factions that join the, will join the government in case everything will be all right in their terms, and uh, uh, the Knesset will, will approve uh, the next Israeli government, uh, both uh, right-wing factions, uh, uh, centrist factions, and the left-wing factions uh, concerning all these uh, uh, dimensions of the traditional Israeli split between left and right, uh, the future of uh, Israeli policy concerning uh, a radical Islamist regime in Gaza, uh, Palestinian state or uh, self-determination of uh, Palestinian uh, Arab uh, uh, enclaves in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, uh, Abrahamic Accord, uh, regional situation, uh, Turkey, Iran, uh, everything. Uh, if we will all uh, take all in the, into account, we will see that all these factions either might agree about most of them or put them aside because they're irrelevant in the current situation. That is why this uh, strange combination, as commentators put it, may uh, uh, In fact, uh, if we will take into account the fact that Israeli uh, a society, on the other hand, became substantially right-wing after their ideologically right-wing after the Second Intifada. Uh, it is pretty clear that the left-wing parties are unable to come to the power uh, without the support of somebody from the right-wing camp. So, in fact, what we have, we have, we have, we have a split within the right-wing camp, which each part of it, meaning on one hand. Uh, uh, what is associated with the Benjamin Netanyahu, let me put it, uh, or people normally define it as the conservative faction. And on the other side, the so-called liberal faction, or uh, at least those who are political parties that declare uh, that uh, uh, the identity of the Jewish democratic state uh, should be based on the national liberal agenda rather than religious conservative agenda. Uh, so uh, these two political factions, they fight each other, they end up looking for uh, allies in order to have a parliamentary majority. Uh, funny enough, or um, uh, whatever, uh, you, you, you may choose any word for that. 
that they are looking uh, either on the other part of the political spectrum or uh, within the political factions that were beyond the traditional political spectrum in Israel, like in Arab parties. Let's not forget that uh, uh, Ram, uh, uh, this uh, moderate Islamist party, uh, which is going to join this government, uh, not to, be, to send uh, their ministers, of course, but to support, officially support, and to sign the coalition agreement uh, with this political, uh, with, with, with this government. Uh, uh, in principle, those who uh, gave them, like we say in Hebrew, to that exher, that means uh, approved, legitimized, uh, their joining the Zionist government, actually was Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, so from this point of view, we are... Uh, uh, we can say that, of course, Israeli politics changed, but the question is for how long. Indeed. Mr. Owen, if, God forbid, uh, the next inevitable war will come uh, at a time when uh, there is a blocking minority, uh, which will allow a minority government to function without a majority in parliament, which comes or is derived from uh, the Islamist party, uh, the Ram, as uh, Professor Hanin put it, how can Israel actually contend with such a situation when those who are securing the stability of a government are the ones who basically uh, may not necessarily be loyal to Israel during times of strife? Well, um, it's not such a difficult uh, situation because uh, there will be a safety net. Um, the um, Labour Party, outside of the uh, Begin government, gave him a safety net when he uh, signed the peace agreement with Egypt, in which he was in the minority in his own Likud, part, uh, Likud Party and the right wing in general. And uh, we have two uh, good examples of national unity governments. The first one, which was actually called Likud in Hebrew for unity, before the party, which is now called Likud, starting in 1973. But this is the 1967 to 1970 uh, time period. First under Levi Eshkol, then under Golda Meir. This was Menachem Begin's first stint as a cabinet minister without portfolio. And the second uh, uh, time there was such a national unity government was between 1984 and 1990. The Shamir Peres era, for the first four years, they were co-equals. For the last year and a half, only Shamir was prime minister. Now, what is the common lesson out of these two examples? I can already go to the end of the class and tell you that if there is no domestic issue to break up this government, the person who will cause its breakdown is named Tony Blinken. And why am I mentioning the Secretary of State rather than the President? Because in 1970 it was Secretary Rogers who brought about the dissolution of the Golda Meir cabinet when Begin and his uh, Herut and liberal parties uh, uh, partners left. And in 1990, it was because of Jim Baker and his five points. He negotiated between Israel and Egypt and tried to bring the Palestinians into the process. So if Tony Blinken is bold enough or rash enough to try and restart the process 
in such a way that there is no agreement between, let's say, Gidon Saar and Naftali Bennett, on the one hand, and Nitzan Horowitz and Tamar Zandberg, and perhaps some people in the middle, in the center, then the government uh, will dissolve, and uh, either there will be a new government in this particular Knesset, or there will be early elections. Indeed. Colonel Ben Shalom, I'd like to ask you, to what degree uh, our viewers are generally watching from outside Israel into Israel? Um, the Likud is not the equivalent of the Republican Party, and the Labour is not the equivalent of the Democrat Party, uh, with some even saying that they might be even more uh, liberal than the Democrats on some issues and more conservative on Israeli left and uh, the Republicans on other issues. How does one from abroad recognize the various patterns in, in Israeli political systems to better understand uh, policymaking as a whole? Well, I think that it's very difficult to compare because cultures are different, people are different. History, of course, that's a very important component of who we are is critical here. Remember where we come from and what we're doing as we speak. We're building a young democracy. So if I, I come from the United States originally, so there you have so many years of a democracy in the making, even with a civil war in the midst, God forbid that we reach that point. But we're now just a young democracy, you know, building ourselves. Right now, I think the best way is to go to what President Rivlin described as tribes. The best is to look at where, how we are divided as far as having religious and secular uh, the Arab the Arab population or, or other minorities. And remember that in Israel, because of culture, a lot of these things have been shaped in even in our own mind in sometime uh, a warped manner. And I'll give an example. In Israel, we believe that people are either religious or secular. Now, for Jews abroad, this may seem very strange. There is no such thing. You're somewhere on the spectrum. You know, if you believe in God or don't believe in God, you observe in a certain way, you'll be me, or maybe orthodox, conservative, reform. Here in Israel, again, it's a totally cultural issue. We forged in our mind these groups. You belong to this group or you belong to that group. You are right or left. And if you are an Arab Israeli, you know, certainly you will support this party, the party that, that represents the Arabs. Hopefully many of these things will, will be able to change in the future. A lot of our problem, or a lot of our problem today is, I think, the, the polarization, the culture that's becoming more and more extreme, people that have that sense that actually uh, and, uh, close themselves in these tribes, believing that they are under an existential threat from the other. I can tell you that my parents are ultra-Orthodox. They believe, they're scared now. They believe that this new government, especially a Victor Lieberman, may be an existential threat, and I use that word very carefully, but that's the word, to their way of life, because he's going to try to exterminate all the, the, the special funds that until now, historically, Israel gave. You have to understand that Israel sometimes clashes with external enemies. We do that relatively well. We survive. Internally, it's still extremely complex. We still try to figure out ourselves. And as I said, it's a lot about narratives and shaping and I think maturing. Professor Khanin, how do you view it? And, and to what degree is this uh, divisiveness, if you will, in, in Israeli society serving the, the uh, political instability uh, at uh, the current uh, uh, stage in time and, and also on, on a uh, regional challenge. Uh, Colonel uh, Ben Shalom mentioned the fact that there is uh, no 
true challenge from an external perspective, uh, considering Israeli superiority on its, uh, at least the QME, the qualitative military edge. But when we're talking about domestic issues, uh, it seems that this great economy and this uh, great military, if you will, uh, are uh, belonging in the perspective of many Israelis to only one sectors in, uh, sector in Israeli society, which does not necessarily agree with many of those in power. So how do you see all of those uh, challenges going hand in hand and somewhat contradicting each other and, and challenging uh, the makeup of Israeli society? Well, I wouldn't be so categoric uh, as uh, Colonel Beishalom. Uh, I still believe that uh, the confrontation within the Israeli collective and uh, more precisely Israeli Jewish collective, uh, they do agree, but it's not so uh, existential uh, as uh, this uh, happens sometimes in the public discourse, at least in the discussion uh, uh, normally we address at the moment. Uh, of course, uh, uh, we can say that uh, at the moment in Israeli society, we are enjoy uh, on our own Israeli uh, model of uh, multiculturalism. Uh, that means multiculturalism within the Jewish collective. Uh, the different tribes or semi-tribes, they came from uh, uh, normally, uh, they are not the same as in the diaspora. Uh, in fact, uh, at the moment, uh, Olim immigrants, Jewish immigrants come to Israel, uh, they uh, integrate into the Israeli society and get their own understanding what it to be, uh, what does, does it mean to be a member of a, a new Israeli tribe. So I would say that Mizrahim, Oriental Jews, they are so much different from this Oriental Jewish communities that we have uh, seen in the diaspora. We even have uh, uh, two different words for that, Keila uh, and Eda. Eda, the Jewish communities abroad. Keila, that's what happened with them the moment they uh, come through the melting pot of the Israeli society. Uh, uh, the story, if you will, uh, uh, let, us, let us take Lieberman, for instance, uh, a so scaring person that everybody is so much afraid of, uh, including parents of uh, Colonel Bachelon. Uh, so uh, uh, nobody can say uh, that he is not, uh, um, uh, let me put it this way, a person who is understand the situation and pretty able to concern it. That means reasonable men, like people say about him. Uh, the, the, the base of his political party, our whole Israel, Israel Beitenu, uh, are the, in, in overwhelming majority, uh, Olim from the former Soviet Union, uh, in practice, uh, they came with their own understanding of what does it mean to be Jewish. Uh, as we know, uh, being Jewish in Eastern Europe, that means ethnicity. Being Jewish in Western Europe and North America in Atlantic world, that means uh, religious Jew. And in Israel, it's the same. It's called ethnic confessional identity. Uh, so uh, within these 30 years since the start of the big Aliyah, we see that this group uh, pretty integrated into understanding what does it, be, uh, does it mean to be Israeli Jew. Uh, so the moment uh, Mr. Lieberman uh, proclaimed uh, all this question that this society should be more liberal than before, it doesn't mean that they're going to, uh, to uh, uh, depart from uh, the Jewish identity of the state, on the contrary. Uh, more than that, uh, uh, his colleagues uh, and uh, those also factions uh, that uh, are going to join, or already joined, uh, the uh, alternative government of uh, Lapid and Bennett, they actually agreed uh, to the idea he suggested. 
meaning the idea that it should be diversity uh, in all most of the issues that are related to the, uh, uh, the interest of the uh, different religious community. That means liberalization of conversion, liberalization of uh, 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 kashrut, and so on and so forth. Uh, so from this point of view, I would say that uh, all these Israeli tribes, they have much more in common rather than the issues that differentiate them. Indeed. Mr. Oren, before we come to the end of the program, as we're drawing near to that, Netanyahu came out and warned the Israeli public, as Colonel Ben Shalom stated, that uh, the the so-called left-wing government uh, may bring about the end of the Jewish state, the end of Israel. Um, but he did not mention, of course, the fact that Naftali Bennett served as defense minister under him. Uh, they both come from the same unit in the military and served in the same capacity, basically, with the same history, if you will. Uh, at the same time, you have also uh, Avigdor Lieberman, who also served as defense minister and as well as foreign minister under Netanyahu. You have Benny Gantz, who currently serves as defense minister under Netanyahu. And at the same time, he continues to be the defense minister, a former general uh, chief of the general staff of the IDF. So it seems that there is a lot of continuity from the Netanyahu era to what may be a new era uh, altogether with significant remnants, if not uh, big portions of the Netanyahu uh, uh, government being integrated into a new form, if you will. How do you see this impacting the perspective of the different countries in the region uh, who wholeheartedly do aspire to annihilate the Jewish state? So, uh, first of all, just a rejoinder regarding the Democratic and Republican parties vis-à-vis -vis Likud and Labour, perhaps um, a more um, uh, correct uh, comparison would be to the Tories and Labour in Britain, another parliamentary system. Um, and uh, much like in Britain, where a third party, the Liberals, try to, to come in through the cracks. In Israel, you have Lapid's party, Yashatid. You used to have a party called Kadima, some center party. Now, regarding your uh, question, one of the most famous lines in Israeli political history is continuity and change, which is what Itzhak Rabin said when he took over from Golda Meir. Mm -hmm. He didn't want, of course, to get her angry at him saying, okay, guys, uh, there's a new sheriff in town. Let's forget what the old lady did. So he said, parts of my policy will be change and parts will be continuity. But this is a correct way of uh, portraying what the new government uh, will do. There is a basic continuity in Israeli foreign policy and national security. You look back. Uh, there was no annexation. There was no preventive war or preemption. Uh, pretty much the general staff of the Israeli Defense Forces recommended what the government approved. And this is probably what uh, we are going to see in the year or so ahead uh, as the government tries to stabilize. And regardless of who someone supported, everybody is going to try and get used to a new face uh, leading the state of Israel after so many years that Prime Minister Netanyahu has uh, worked tirelessly for the state. But uh, this is all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank Colonel Ben Shalom, Professor Hanin, and Mr. Oren for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time.
Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.